Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So yes, like Dad said, today is Pentecost Sunday. So welcome to everyone, evening and morning. We're going to be discussing the significance of Pentecost, specifically starting in Acts chapter 2. And what I'm going to be talking about specifically, I've titled my sharing, is the Lord's fire in His temple. So what is the significance of Pentecost and why do we celebrate it and remember it? And that's what I would like to share with you today. And I thought the best place to start is in Acts chapter 2. So you can either look on the screen because I've got it up there for you. Or if you prefer your devices or your physical Bible. Very few of us prefer our physical Bible. But it's probably the best version you get. If you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 to 4. I'm specifically reading from the, the New Living Translation. And we're just going to read the first four verses of this momentous occasion. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. In my presentation today and in my preparation, I felt prompted to the words that just dropped in my heart was follow the fire in answering the above questions on the significance and why we celebrate it. And we're going to do that today. We're going to follow the fire and we're going to highlight the significance of the tongues of fire appearing or settling or resting on each of the believers as they met together. The image or the imagery of fire resting on should be familiar to us Bible scholars. And today we're going to journey through scripture from the Old Testament through to the New, and we're going to discuss the strikingly similar depictions of fire coming from heaven and resting and dwelling. So without further ado, let's begin this biblical journey. Now, as you can see on your right hand side, I've done some uh, rough illustrations. I just thought that sometimes I really missed the whiteboard. I worked in IT and white, whiteboard and the black marker was like second nature to go and explain things. So I think maybe I'm tapping into my whiteboard IT roots and I've instead of drawing it live, I've already pre-prepared it and drawn it for you there. Just to give you an illustration, I think better in pictures. Maybe I'm the only one, but I thought why not? So let's begin in the Old Covenant and let's talk about the fiery introduction I've, I've titled it. See, in the Old Covenant... From the outset, the Lord introduces himself to Moses and to the people of Israel through fire. We're going to highlight on three of these for now. The first is, is one, the well-known one is the Lord visits Moses through the burning Sinet bush in Mount Sinai. The bush was a Sinet bush and it comes from the place that it resided in and that, that is Mount Sinai. Exodus 3 verse 2 to 3 from the Amplified Classic, the angel of the Lord identified as the Lord himself later in verse 4 and 6 appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst or in the middle of the bush and he looked and behold the bush burnt with fire yet was not consumed. 
This is a very familiar picture and it has been done over and over in imagery, in pictures, in paintings, in movies and in our reading. It's one of the most popular depictions of the Lord speaking to his people, the burning bush. And it's the bush is a fire that does not consume or burn or eat up the bush. The second, again very well known, is that the Lord himself guides Israel by fire at night. This is seen in Exodus 13, 21. The presence of the Lord was going before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they could travel by day and by night. Almost like a, a real presence of the Lord as a GPS system. He guided them by a cloud by day, but a fiery pillar by night. Can you imagine that as a people? You're following in the desert and you're following this powerful display of, of fire and the presence of the Lord. Next, I, I really like Exodus 19, 18. And this is the Lord saying, I want to talk to my people and I want to show them a sign why they should trust you. Why they should trust that you are representing me on this journey as, as we embark towards the promised land. And this is when the Lord visits Israel on Mount Sinai by fire. Simply it says, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. So we can see here, just with Moses and Israel on the beginning journey on the Exodus, you can see three powerful displays. The Lord presents himself or displays himself as fire from the burning bush to the fiery pillar to the display on Mount Sinai. Then I want to skip forward a bit where we know about the tabernacle and the tabernacle the Lord, he comes down and his presence is highlighted with the presence of fire. Let me read a quote to you to explain. Maybe you're not familiar of what the tabernacle means. This is what the Bible project describes it as. The tabernacle was the portable earthly dwelling place of God used by the Israelites from the Exodus until the conquest of Canaan. Moses was instructed at Mount Sinai to construct and transport the tabernacle with the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness and the subsequent conquest of the promised land. In Hebrew, tabernacle literally means residence or dwelling place. A lot of us refer to it as a tent because you can think of it as a mobile temple where the Lord, His presence, He wanted to go with the people like, like He was and He wanted the people to know where He rested with Him. He resided with Him and He dwelt with Him. Numbers 9 verse 15. On that day, the tabernacle was set up. So this is where the tabernacle is being built and established. And this is going to be the theme moving forward. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at the evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So you can see the same imagery of, of, the, of the cloud in the day and the fire at night. You can see the tabernacle is now contains or is on it the presence of the Lord, the fiery presence of of the Lord. See, the Lord resides in the tabernacle, specifically within the Holy of Holies, which refers to the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle where God's presence appeared. God eventually comes to take up residence in their midst, first in a mobile temple structure called the tabernacle, which we've discussed, and now later as we go on to the temple of Jerusalem. Once again, powerful demonstration of fire when the temple is dedicated by Solomon and he prays a blessing. We're going to read that just now. But it's important to note that after 440 years 
are from the tabernacle. Solomon's temple in Jerusalem supersedes the tabernacle as the dwelling place of God. Solomon saw that his father's desire was fulfilled and built the temple and the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies within the temple. You see, David had a desire. He was sitting there and he's saying, hey, I live in a house built with cedar and the Lord my God is sleeping in or living in a tent. He didn't, he didn't feel that that was right. So he desired in his heart to build a, a really elaborate and de decorative and temple that is worthy of the Lord. If anything could be worthy, which we're going to read later. And that's what David's heart desire, and he spoke this to Nathan. And we're going to read Nathan's response later. But I just wanted to show you that David had this desire. And we know David didn't, couldn't do this himself because his hands had shed too much blood. It was for his son, Solomon, which came after him, the son of peace, to then build the temple to host the Lord's presence. from, And the, loot, and the ark was transported from the tabernacle to the temple once it was completed. Now it's important to note when the transport, the transporting of the ark, I want you to pay attention to the number of trumpets or the priests that sounded the trumpets. 120 priests sounded the trumpets when the ark was placed. Solomon then prays over the people and the temple in a prayer of dedication. And this is what happens. And I want you to read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, uh, but it's in front of you. You don't have to turn there. And it's just, I want to show you the thread, the fiery thread as we're moving through the, the scriptures at a fast pace, but it's, it's, it's right there and it's good to see. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. This is from the English Standard Version. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the glory of the Lord filled their Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down in the glory on the Lord's temple. Can you see once again after Solomon's prayer of blessing and dedication, the powerful demonstration of the presence of the Lord entering for the first time the temple, the fire and also cloud earlier, there's a, there's a demonstration, there's a powerful demonstration of the Lord's presence moving into the temple. Now, it's very important before I continue that we take a moment, we pause, and we understand the significance of the temple. Yes, it's a building, especially here, we went from the tabernacle to the temple, but we need to understand what it represents, because it's a symbol, it represents something. There's a quote, it says, The ancient Israelite temple was a gigantic symbol that visualized God's desire to live together with his human creation and to rule the world through them. That is key. Our Lord, our God, from the beginning of creation, desired to live amongst and with and dwell with us. And together with him, he co-labors with us that we can rule or have dominion through the power and the presence of the Lord. It's the place, you could say, where heaven and earth meet, where the Creator God has chosen to take up residence among His people. Very important. The temple was a sacred reenactment of humanity's return to the garden. And this is in the first pages of the Bible. Remember, the garden was in the center of Eden. And in the garden, there, uh, there 
Adam and Eve walked in the coolness of the day and they walked and they had intimacy with the Lord. And there, they were there to work and to keep the land. They had a responsibility to rule, to have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, to be blessed and to bless. They had, they had instruction from the Lord and they had vision and foresight. But the Lord wanted to do it with them. He was there. He was present. And the same can be said from the temple. The temple is, is a symbol of us going back to the garden to live together with God in peace. In this way, the temple was a prophetic symbol that pointed forward to the day when not just a select few priests, like, you know, only a select few priests could enter into the Holy of Holies. And they had to perform sacrifices and atonement and cleansing rituals in order to go in there. But the Lord wanted everyone to enter into his divine presence in a renewed creation. This is important. We need to pause and we need to understand the importance of the temple, what it represented then, and also what it pointed forward to. Right? Because the Lord's intention was never to remain dwelling in a tent or temple made by human hands. This was never his, his original intent. No, he wanted something far greater. And that's when we, we look back to the first pages of the Bible. This is what he wanted, fellowship with humanity. Now, this I hinted at it earlier. When David had a desire to build the Lord's temple, looking at his house of cedar and the Lord staying in the tabernacle or the tent, and he said, I want to build the Lord a house. Look what the Lord says through Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 to 14. This is the Lord's response about David's desire, and he speaks through Nathan. I'm reading from the message. Furthermore, God has this message for you, David. God himself will build you a house. When your life is complete and you're buried with your ancestors, then I will raise up your child, your own flesh and blood, to succeed you and firmly establish his rule. He will build a house to honor me, and I will guarantee his kingdom rule permanently. Now, the Lord is speaking layers here. You can look at that and say, oh, he's talking about Solomon. I think we might be half right. But if we look there clearly, it says, I will guarantee his kingdom rule permanently. Right? We know today that Solomon's temple doesn't exist and that physical building is not there presently. So the Lord does not lie. So who is he talking about here? You see, the Lord promises he will build a house or a temple, not just the temple Solomon will build, but the Lord will be doing the building this time and his kingdom will rule permanently. He says, I will build you a house, David. Now, when the Lord builds a house, he does not use human hands and he does the building. So who is the Lord talking about? Of course, he is talking about Jesus who comes from the line of David. Through prophecies, the Lord will come through the house of Jesse, from Nazareth, right? From Na he will come from the house of Jesse as a root and a stump, and this is talking about Jesus. You see, the Lord's presence eventually leaves the physical temple, and we can read, you can read about that in your own time in Ezekiel 10, in this prophetic vision of the Lord's presence leaving the physical temple that Solomon built. Why? Because Israel rebelled and they dishonored the temple. And as a result, foreign oppressors came in, Assyria and Babylon. They invade, they destroy the temple, and the nation of Israel is exiled from their homeland. And this is a, a poignant moment in the biblical narrative 
and it speaks of despair, but why they, they've abandoned their first love, right? And even though many Israelites later returned back to Jerusalem and rebuild the smaller temple, the Israelites never experienced God's presence there in the same way that they've done before. This left the biblical prophets speaking of a future temple where Israel's God would return and take up residence once more among his people. And of course, this is fulfilled in Jesus. This inferior rebuilt temple, the empty of the Lord's presence, is the temple of Jesus' day. The one that he would enter, the one that he would challenge, the one that he would cleanse. Jesus himself notes the difference between this physical inferior temple in Jerusalem to himself as the Lord's ultimate fulfillment of the new temple. And I want you to read John chapter 2. So I'm going to give you time to turn there. John chapter 2 verse 19 to 22. When you understand this imagery that Jesus is responding to, where he is foiling the physical temple, which is the second rebuilt one, it's inferior to the one Solomon built, and also the biggest inferiority of it all is that the presence of the Lord is not in it any longer. So who's holding this thing up? Is it the Lord or is it man trying to cling on to the form of what they knew, once knew? So John chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. And the context here is Jesus has just walked into this temple, even though it's inferior, and he's cleansed it, and he's brought correction, and he's calling them hypocrites where they're doing working in the marketplace and making business and corruption. So Jesus cleanses the temple. And then the Pharisees walk in because this is their house. They, they feel that they own the place. And they walk and they say to Jesus, in what, whose authority do you come in here to clean this temple? Who gave you this authority? And this is Jesus' answer according to John's account. John 2.19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Now, this is talking about the rebuilt temple. It took them 46 years to rebuild the second version of this temple. So they misunderstand Jesus, what he's talking about. And look at the John's notes here. It's almost like he's speaking to us, the audience. He puts a narrator's comment here. He says, but he, Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, the temple that Jesus was talking to was his own body. He said, kill me, destroy me, and in three days I will rise again. Jesus is clearly showing which is the true temple of Jerusalem and of, of the whole creation of earth while he walked this earth. It was him. He was the first living temple of the Lord. And he is addressing the Pharisees saying, you, you questioning my authority about this physical building? Well, guess what? I am the true temple of the Lord and you're going to destroy me and in three days I'll be risen again. I really love Acts chapter 7, maybe because it's my namesake. Stephen, full of power and faith in the Holy Spirit, echoes this portion of this powerful sermon to the Sanhedrin. You almost have to see Stephen as the very next person who receives the Holy Spirit after Peter's sermon. And he's almost presented by Luke in the same way, following Jesus' footsteps. And in the same way, he criticizes the temple and he's brought before the council and they're questioning him. And this is a portion, and you should read Acts chapter 7. It's a beautiful sermon, just like Peter's in Acts. And he's talking about the importance of who the real temple is. Acts chapter 7, 
verse 46 to 48, and I'm just going to also read 50 instead of reading you the whole account. Let me read to you from the Passion Translation. Tying everything together which we've spoken about. This is Stephen's words. David found loving favor with God and prayed for a dwelling place for the Lord, for God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built him a house. However, the Most High God does not live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet said, and he quotes Isaiah 66, verse 1 to 2. And this is just a portion of that quotation. Don't you know that it is my hands, the Lord says, that I have built my house, not yours. You see, Stephen recognizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to live amongst his people, to dwell, to be that place where heaven and earth join and that his people can come into contact with the Father through Jesus the Son. And that's what a temple is for, to come into the presence of the Lord. Stephen taps into this. He, gets, he has a revelation full of the Spirit. He has a revelation that Jesus was the true fulfillment, the true living temple of the Lord. And it, he, he quotes Isaiah 66. Listen, he quotes to the Pharisees and saying, Do you not know that this physical temple was never going to be the ultimate fulfillment? Rather, it is a temple built from the Lord's hands, not humans. That's such a powerful message. And ultimately, we know what happens to Stephen. They, they stone him for these words because they see it as blasphemy. So, what does that mean for us now today? Well, we know first Jesus, now us too in Jesus are the living is the living temple. Another word in John 1 verse 14, I just love the way it puts it. And the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and did tabernacle, pitch his tent among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why Jesus walked this earth. They saw just power. I love John, how his imagery is so much power and he just layers every word. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. That word, he uses it specifically and strategically. He sees Jesus as the living temple. He pitches his tent among his people. And through Jesus, they encountered the Father's presence full of grace and truth. We know Jesus doesn't only walk this earth, but he does powerful demonstration of his death and his resurrection and ascension. And after his resurrection, Jesus said, as he appeared to his disciples, that his presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they could become living temples. This promise comes true and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell amongst the first believers during Pentecost. This is where we see it all coming together. See, Jesus didn't just come this earth to walk this earth to say, hey, that Jesus was the, the only human to be the living temple of the Lord. No, through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, he enters us into that temple also. He wants us. The Lord comes and lives within us. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecies where the Lord will come into our hearts. There's lots of prophetic scriptures that I could quote to you where he will pour out his spirit on the earth, where we will no longer have a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, speaking the stone of the law and the old, and the flesh speaking where the spirit now lives within us. So now us too in Jesus are living temples. Acts 1 verse 8. 
Jesus speaking, but you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pastor Frank ministered this morning so powerfully on, on what that power means, how the Lord activates that power, power within us. I also love the word, you will be my witness. In the Greek, the word witness comes from the word we get as martyr. Martyreo, right? Martus. It speaks about you burn so brightly that people will see. And yes, we use that word martyr because it also means if even if we have to die in order for people to see Jesus in us. Let me read from Paul. And I think Paul really encapsulates what it means for us to be a temple. Now, when I say us, as we're going to discuss, I'm also I'm talking about the collective church the collective body of christ because i think in the west sometimes we try to do everything on our own we try to seek god on our own we try to demonstrate god on our own but you know what the importance of a church is that we are together as christ's body it's collective and we're going to focus on acts chapter 2 in closing later to show you that that the spirit came as a as as a result of the unity of his disciples but let's read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says this, Don't you realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary, His temple, and that the Spirit of God makes His permanent home or dwelling place in you? Don't you realize that you together have become God's temple and that the Spirit of God makes His permanent home and His dwelling place in you? He says something very similar and just as strong in Ephesians 2.22. He says, in him, you, speaking about plural, all of us as believers, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right, so Paul's talking about the collectiveness, the togetherness of, the, of Christ's body after his ascension. Speaking about us believers coming together, we are built together by the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and we're being built as the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let me bring this home here. You see, we together in Jesus are and is the new temple of the Lord. Like I said, it's not, an, it's not something that we can do in isolation. Of course, we have the individual responsibility to keep our hearts pure and undefiled before the Lord. And thank goodness for His mercy and His grace that allows us that opportunity, that the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus enables that. But we're not yet to stay alone. It's not just the priest that should go into the presence of the Lord. No, we are all the royal priesthood. All of us now have access as the body of Christ. It is when we, as Jesus followers, come together, seek Him in sincerity and in truth, that when we function, that's when we function as his temple on this earth. Just as the tabernacle and Solomon's temples before, now with the 120, in Acts chapter 2, the Lord uses the presence of fire. And I love Pastor Frank's words here. I struggled to, under, to get the words. To activate. I use the word launch, but I think activate is a better version. To activate his new temple. His body which is us. See, his disciples were there. They were together. They were in the upper room, but they were waiting for the promise. They were waiting for the activation. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit, the Lord to give them 
something on the inside, his own nature, through the person of the Holy Spirit to become, to activate them. And we can see from that point on, Acts is just a, an explosion. People, Peter goes out immediately and he, and he has an epic sermon. And then, like I said, we see Stephen and we see through, through the oppression and they become martyrs. The gospel is just spread like wildfire. But they needed that activation. For me, I really love seeing Acts chapter 2 as the fulfillment of Jesus' words in Matthew 18, 20. When two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You see, they come together in the upper room, the 120, and guess who shows up? If it wasn't Jesus in, in Acts chapter 1 in, per, in person in his recreated body, after he ascends, he shows up. In the person of the Holy Spirit. And not only does he show up. But he, he fills them. And he allows his nature to burst out through them. With the activation signal of fire. So let me finish off. By going to Acts chapter 2 one more time. And I'm going to take you. From an outward perspective. And I'm going to show you. We're going to zoom in. To show you how. In Acts chapter 2. Is a picture of coming together. First of all. Or last of all, let me give you the, the, the explanation of the word Pentecost. I've left this for last because I didn't want you to be distracted by it. But Pentecost comes from the Greek word which means 50 days. And this 50 days refers to 50, they said the Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks, also in parallel with the festival of the harvest. And 50 days represents, it was the festival that took place 50 days after Passover. So they almost counted 50 days after Passover. And then there was the next Jewish festival, the Jewish festival of Shavuot. And this is what Pentecost in Greek is. And it was a cherished festival, right? But let's understand why this festival is important. I'm going to read from verse 5 in Acts chapter 2 first. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. In that verse, in other verses in Acts chapter 2, we can see the significance that this Shavuot festival, the Feast of Weeks, meant in the Jewish faith, in the Hebrew faith. And people, and Jews specifically, devout Jews from around the world, would come together to Jerusalem to celebrate and partake in this festival. So I want you to picture, as you can see, I've drawn the world there. Picture a, a pilgrimage of Jews around the world coming and coming towards Jerusalem, if they weren't that far, they would come and they would they would center on Jerusalem and they would get ready to celebrate Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. So that's one big outer ring of all Jews coming together. Then now let's read verse 1 now. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, speaking, in, you can read in Acts chapter 1, the 120 Jesus followers, they were all together in one place. So not only Jews around the world come together, now we see Jesus' followers of the Jewish nations coming together and meeting in the upper room. 120. Now I ask you to remember that number. 120 trumpets sounded for Solomon and his priests when the presence of the Lord entered. Isn't it beautiful, poetic maybe, that 120 physical disciples also usher into the new activation and and signal fire of the presence of the Lord. Both men and women. This is unique. Something special happens here in the upper room. And, and the Holy Spirit 
comes down like we see in the rushing wind. But also, I love reading further on in Acts chapter 2, in verse 14, that now we see the Holy Spirit coming and activating and the power and the demonstration. And like I said, we see Peter full of boldness, like Pastor Frank ministered this morning. And he goes on a sermon through the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. But I love the picture seeing there in verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven. It's almost like he's there, hand in hand, side by side, with Jesus' original disciples. He lifted up his voice and addressed the confused crowds. The crowds that thought they were drunk with wine, and he's correcting them and says, no. So can you see how we're zooming in from all the Jewish, the, the nation of Israel and Jewish believers around the world coming to Jerusalem as the first step to celebrate Pentecost or Shavuot. Then we see of those Jewish representatives, we see 120 of Jesus' followers as the next layer coming and meeting together, men and women in the upper room. And then in a picture of unity of the leadership, can we, we can see Peter standing with his fellow disciples that, that he celebrated with Jesus, the 11, standing together. Just see the picture of unity that Luke is really drawing our attention to in Acts. Folks, for me, the unity of the church, the unity of them coming together in sincerity and in truth in Jesus' name is the release of the activation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can operate in the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit as individuals when we go to our workplaces, when we go into our environment, but something special happens when believers congregate together. For us, we experience that today in our local fellowship. Something special happens when all of us turn our hearts to the Lord in unison. And I don't know if you've experienced, I'm sure you have, where the presence of the Lord descends on a group of his people and he makes his presence known. We cannot replace that. And COVID has tried to take this, that away from us. But we know we have ways we can be imaginative of coming together. I believe this is key to welcoming the congregational power and activation power of the Holy Spirit is unity. Unity of the church together, putting our differences aside, linking our hands together and welcoming Him and welcoming the person of the Holy Spirit that He may come down as fire, be evident as a signal fire to, to the world so that we may then be released and preach the gospel and carry on what Jesus has commissioned us to do. So I hope I hope you've been blessed with my sharing today. I just wanted to I wanted to just share on on for me following the fire and what it meant, what the Lord's always patterned, what is always prophesied, what is always sought as a living temple in Jesus, but now all of us are in Jesus and it's not just individualistic. It's a togetherness. He left a body behind. He left 12 men or 11 men. And then he also left, of those 11 men, he left the whole body of church through them. And we can just see how it grew from there. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that became flesh in Jesus. That not only did he walk this earth and demonstrate to real tangible men on what it means to be the temple of the living God. But through his death, his resurrection, ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can now have Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit within us, allowing the Father himself to reside and dwell within us, that we can allow the fruit of the kingdom to pour out, not through our own efforts, 
not through making temples of hands, but allowing your temple, which you have made in your hands, to demonstrate heaven on earth. He's told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, as it is in heaven on earth, Lord. And you know that we, you ask us, your body, to manifest your kingdom heaven on this earth. Lord, we just pray that we may be obedient, first of all. And secondly, that we may be, we may look, we may put our differences aside, look to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, open our hands and our hearts and allow togetherness and unity to stitch us together and allow your Holy Spirit to then fill us continually, Lord, and allow your power to flow from us to the world who is in desperate need of your touch. We know sermons alone cannot do this, but your Spirit surely can. And we just pray for the person of the Holy Spirit to just be activated in us. In your Son's name. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.